Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with Ursula Zilovich, Head of Clinical Services and a lecturer at the University of Pretoria, about stuttering. Nicolette Mutiga, Marketing and Communication Officer at Little Eden, will be joining me and we'll be talking about the work that they do there for people with profound intellectual disabilities. Dr. Darren Green is a medical practitioner in private practice in Cape Town and a Movember ambassador, and we'll be discussing men's health and, in particular, prostate and testicular cancer. And then I'll be chatting with Ray Rethman, a chiropractor in Durban, about Bioflex therapy, a low-intensity light therapy which is being used to treat chronic pain conditions and which speeds up the healing of injuries. And just a reminder, if you need any information about something you'll hear on the show this evening or you miss a contact number or a website address, you can email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, today is International Stuttering Awareness Day, and to find out more about this and to dispel some of the myths surrounding stuttering, I'm joined this evening by Ursula Zilovich, Head of Clinical Services and a lecturer at the University of Pretoria. Ursula, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you very much. I think a lot lot of us have more of an idea of what stuttering is and how it can affect one after having watched that movie a couple of years back called The King's Speech. But what exactly is stuttering? Well... Stuttering comes in many forms and many disfluencies are often um, labeled as stuttering and therefore it is very important to make sort of a differential diagnosis. But developmental stuttering starts in the early years, especially school going age and can persist right up to adulthood. Is this not something that can start later in life or does it always begin in childhood? Sometimes it does start later in life, um, but usually it follows a developmental pattern and worsens over time as the person or individual becomes older. Now, I was going to ask you about the signs and symptoms of stuttering, and one would think that you always hear somebody stuttering, so you would know that they're stuttering, but it's not always as simple as that, is it? That's correct. It's not quite that simple. So what are the signs and symptoms of stuttering? Well, the very typical signs are mainly uh, word repetitions, sound repetitions, initial sounds, um, sound prolongation, silent blocks, um, putting in sort of interjections like ums and ers and that type of thing. And in some cases where the pattern is quite advanced and severe, you will find even what we call secondary associated motor behavior like eye blinking, um, clenching of the fist, those type of behaviors. Those are all kind of struggle behaviors in an attempt to get out of the stuttering moment. Now, you mentioned that something called interjections, things like um and er, but we all, don't we all do that? That's correct. We all do that. Um, the normal average person has got a, quite a high frequency of normal disfluencies. Um, even hesitations, like I'm doing the presently. <laughs> but that wouldn't be considered stuttering per se? No. Usually stuttering itself is also associated with some tension, um, avoidance behavior, because you become so aware of your problem, 
you either avoid situations, you try and avoid words. Um, yes, there's usually a lot of awareness and tension. And yes, it's very different to normal dysfluency. And I might just add there many preschoolers um, present with normal, typical dysfluencies, like repeating words, but there's no tension, there's no struggle behavior, and they're still very good communication partners. So how would stuttering then be diagnosed if it's, it's by the all accounts, sounds a little bit difficult? Because as you're saying, some of the things that, that are classified as parts of stuttering is normal for most of us, the umming and the erring and that sort of thing. So how would you actually diagnose an actual stutterer? Well, the most important thing is that uh, anyone who is concerned or a parent who's concerned about the child's um, dysfluency should actually contact a registered speech language therapist and so that a full case history can be taken and one gets a good medical um, history, developmental history, etc., and will assess exactly what is going on. But I think if you want to specifically hone in on what is stuttering, you will see that maybe another symptom would be poor eye contact, uh, as I say, a lot of tension, maybe eye blinking, you know, those type of behaviors. Uh, I forgot to add also like silent blocks, you kind of block, you just can't get the word out. Would the person then just stop talking altogether? Yes, some people will refrain from talking altogether. Or they might find an excuse not to speak in a specific situation. If it is picked up in a child, is this something that can only be treated? Would a child normally grow out of it? Or does it something that has to be treated? I think that if a parent is concerned or a preschool teacher is concerned, uh, one should follow it up to see exactly what kind of disfluencies are presenting. And there are certain risk factors. We know that there's a, a high percentage of children with a predisposition, a genetic predisposition. We also know that another risk factor is if there's someone in the family who is not recovered from stuttering. Uh, boys um, are more prone to develop a full-blown stuttering problem. Um, and then, of course, just your environmental stresses. You know, life catches up with children as well. When you're talking about that now, Ursula, there are some myths surrounding stuttering, and I think one of them is that if you're nervous or you're stressed, that's going to cause you to stutter, or that is what the precursor is for stuttering. Is that the case or not? Uh, no, it does aggravate the stuttering. But it can't cause it. the more nervous you are, you, the more you're going to focus on not trying to stutter, so you've got a better chance of stuttering. But being a nervous type of person, a highly strung type of person, anxious person, is not going to cause the stuttering. So once it has been diagnosed now as the condition, what sort of treatment is available out there? Um, there are a lot of different approaches. You know, with children, we will do a more sort of play-based, language-based kind of therapy approach. With your older child and adults, we will, depending on how severe the problem is, we teach them by using certain strategies to manage their stuttering. And in other cases, we can focus more on the naturalness of speech and do a lot of fluency-enhancing 
type of therapy. So all is not lost. There are things that can be done. There's, there's a lot of hope, yes. Um, the speech therapist has a very important role to play, um, with, especially with this disorder. Now, one of the most important things, I think, is for the family or friends of the person who has the problem of stuttering. There are some things that we should be careful not to do because we could actually exacerbate the situation. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things for parents and also for um, just colleagues who work with a person who stutters, the general rule would be, you know, don't stare at the person, but keep good eye contact. Your body language should be at ease, and I've got time. And maybe you could even, as a listener, slow down a bit, pace your speech like I'm doing now, and indicate that you sort of, your body language will indicate, I've got time. Don't interrupt the person who stutters or is disfluent. Don't say the word for him. And maybe um, with the older, with the adult or older person, one could ask them, how would you like me to react? How can I help you? But I think, as you said, the worst thing possibly is to finish the sentence because that puts them under more pressure because now they think you want them to finish in a hurry and they become more stressed and it just makes the whole condition worse. Absolutely. And you might be guessing the end of the sentence and that's not exactly what they want to say, which then puts more pressure on the person. So there are things that we could do to make their situation more comfortable as well. That's correct. One of the other things I think that we have that's possibly out there is that people think sometimes that people who stutter are not very smart, and that is really not the case. Absolutely not. Um, unfortunately, and that's why with um, international stuttering awareness everywhere in the world, we're trying to make people more aware of the fact that the person who stutters is no different from anybody else. And very, there are quite a lot of smart people out there. And one of the other things as well, I was reading some information that says the one of the things you shouldn't do as well is to tell the person, take a deep breath or think about what you want to say because you're just making them more anxious because they know what they want to say and they just have to take their own time to get there. That's quite correct. It's a very difficult situation, Ursula, and I think we as the people who are fortunate enough not to stutter need to understand the condition. And I think that National Stutter, Stuttering Awareness Day is very important because it makes us more conscious of the condition. And possibly if we work with somebody or we know somebody or there's somebody in the family, maybe this, this evening will give them some idea of how to make that person just a little bit more comfortable because I'm sure they do feel very uncomfortable anyway and they don't want to be made to feel worse. Yes, correct, yes. So if people um, are wanting more information, you, you say that the, the Speech Language Hearing Association would be your best bet to contact them and they would be able to point in the direction of a therapist close to them or closest to them? That's correct. And one can also go onto our SASHLA website, www.saslha.co.za. And then if you log in there, you will you'll see there you can find uh, a press for a professional in your area. So they're, they're looking for a professional. And there are people all over the country, I would imagine, that you could consult with. That's correct. So yes. there's somebody, should be somebody, wherever you are in the country, there should be somebody close to you to be able to get some help. Yes, especially also in the larger centres, larger towns. Um, the more outlying areas could pose a problem. 
But give them a call anyway or have a look. I'm sure they'll, they can always make a plan to help you. That's correct. Yes. And one of the other things as well, as you mentioned, preschool teachers and parents, if you are worried about this, don't leave it. It's probably best to get this treated as soon as possible. Yes, absolutely. Because we don't know at this stage, we know that some children that are disfluent will recover. And we know that there are risk factors. But we can't always predict who are the children that will recover. So prevention rather than intervention. Right. Well, Ursula, hopefully we've given people a lot of good information now and uh, maybe just encourage them to take a fresh look at how they treat other people who have the stuttering problem and uh, maybe be able to help them. Thank you very much indeed for your time this evening. Thank you. I was chatting there with Ursula Zilovich. She's head of clinical services and a lecturer at the University of Pretoria. To find a speech therapist in your area, you can contact the South African Speech Language Hearing Association on 861 113 297-0861-113-297 or by email on admin at saslha.co.za and you can also take a look at the website www.saslha.co.za and if you missed any of those contact details they'll all be on the Facebook page Health Matters on SAFM Health Matters with Karen Key well, Little Eden first opened its doors in 1967 as a daycare centre caring initially for three intellectually disabled little girls. Well, today, Little Eden is a benchmark non-profit organisation accommodating 300 children and adults with profound intellectual disability in two specialised residential care facilities. Nicolette Motiga is the Marketing and Communication Officer at Little Eden. Nicolette, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen, and thank you for having me. This is quite an amazing story of Little Eden, where it started from very small beginnings to where it is today. Yes, most definitely. Um, we, we've grown um, from three girls like dolls, like you just said. Um, today we have 300 residents with us. Now, I mentioned as well that the people that are res resident at the centre are profoundly intellectually disabled, so they need full-time, round-the-clock care. That's correct. Um, we have a 24-hour care facility. We, we have two homes. Um, there's one in Edenville and there's another one in Babsfontein in, um, in, in Gauteng. Now, most of the children and adults who are there are basically either as children being abandoned or abused or they come from severely disadvantaged backgrounds. So funding must be quite an issue for you at Little Eden. Yes, that's uh, one of our major challenges at the moment. Um, we, we do receive 35% from the government at the moment, and um, the, raise, uh, the rest we have to raise with, um, through various um, ways, including um, the events and, and um, also the public support and, and, and corporate. And about $14 million that has to be raised um, uh, a month. A month? Yes. $14 million Yes. A month? Sorry, I'm, I mean, I'm sort of in shock here. That's an awful lot of money, Nicolette. How on earth do you do that? Well, um, like I said, uh, the events that we have, um, also we, we really depend a lot on uh, the community for support. Um, at the moment, um, each child, it costs us about 8200 um, to care for one child, and it includes um, basically everything that the child would need, the medical care, um, clothing, um, food, um, and also caring for staff members. Um, it's a lot that get, uh, that is involved in caring for, for a person within, with profound intellectual disability and 
it is unfortunately very costly. Gosh, that's absolutely... I'm still quite speechless, which is very unusual for me to be speechless, but I'm completely speechless at the amount of money you have to raise every month. That's absolutely incredible. But just to give people some idea of the work that you do there, Nicolette, you have something called the Care and Stimulation Program, and that seems to be quite a large part of what you do with the residents at Little Eden. Yes. Um, the the level of, the, of, of mental functioning of the children that we have um, it's very low, so they're actually not expected to do much. Um, some of the people that we have are functioning at a level of a newborn baby. Um, for example, we have a, a 30-year-old who functions at a level of a newborn baby, so the person has to be carried, to be fed. Nicolette? Oh, yes. oh, there you are. Sorry, I thought we'd lost you there for a moment. Sorry, you were telling me about the residents? Yes, um, I was saying that uh, the level of, of uh, the mental level of the people that we care for is very low. Um, most of the children are functioning at an average mental age of, of one year and below. Um, for example, we'd have a 30-year-old who functions at a level of a newborn baby. Um, the, the youngest person that we have is three years old, and the oldest at the moment is 63 years old. But um, stimulation is very important um, with, with the type of people that we care for uh, because they need to be constantly stimulated um, to, to encourage them to reach their full potential. Um, we have um, children who, who came to us, um, for example, Kule, who was three years old and he couldn't speak, he couldn't um, walk. Today he's able to, to walk and he can, he can say a few words. And, and it's all through stimulation, and um, it wouldn't be possible without it. You also offer quite a range of therapies. You, there's occupational therapy, hydrotherapy, physiotherapy, music therapy. So you, the children are, and the adults that are there are getting quite a range of stimulation and of assistance. Yes, that's correct. It also depends on um, the, the, the potential of each child because, um, again, we have to treat each person um, as an individual so um, it depends how severe the brain damage is, uh, what caused the brain damage, and um, it, it's very important in the type of, of stimulation that the child would receive. And it's not just, we're talking about profoundly mentally disabled children and adults, but also a lot of them have multiple physical disabilities as well. Yes, um, almost all of them actually. Um, because of the brain damage, um, there's a lot that the body will not be able to do due to the brain damage. So a lot of our children are in wheelchairs. Um, they have to be fed, um, carried, they wear nappies um, because of that. Um, a simple thing like a, a skin hydrating itself, it needs a brain to do that. And um, uh, due to the brain damage, um, it, it cannot do that. So uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of multiple uh, physical disabilities. And the other thing about the residents there, once they arrive at Little Eden, they are there for life. They never get sent away or moved out or anything else. They stay with you for the rest of their lives. Yes, um, we like I said, I have, we have 300 people, and out of the 300, there's about 238 um, people that uh, were previously abandoned. So there's actually no way that they they will, they will go, um, and some come from very poor families, and uh, Little Eden becomes their, their home basically. They don't really go anywhere. They stay with us until they pass away. Now, I was looking at your website, Nicholas. It's it's quite an amazing thing. You you've got a, a 
an initiative called Adopt an Angel. And if people want to get involved with that, I will give out the website shortly. But you can actually adopt, in inverted commas, one of these children and you can help to support them. But you can also, if you live in anywhere close by, you can make arrangements. You can't just pitch up, but you can make arrangements to go and visit the children. You can actually get that involved, which I think a lot of people like to do. Yes, um, it's quite an interesting one. Um, because we, we, we don't really have financial support from families, so um, Adopting Angel is one of the ways that um, the public can help us to raise the, the, the much-needed funds. Um, so basically how it goes is that uh, you, you can um, uh, say how, uh, if you want to, to, uh, to adopt a child by saying you want to adopt a girl or a boy or a born in a certain month, and we'll choose um, with the children that... Um, have been abandoned that they have, we have no financial support from, um, and basically the monthly uh, monthly contribution towards a certain child um, will give you more details about the child that you you choose to support and just keep you updated and we'll send you a thank you token. It could be a little card from a child or a picture of a child, um, etc. So it's just to form a um, like a, a relationship with with a child through that token angel. And it is a, a monthly uh, contribution. Like I mentioned earlier, that it, it's about eight thousand two hundred um, a month that um, a child uh, um, we, we need to, to to have for each child. So we encourage um, a person to contribute towards this eight thousand two hundred. It doesn't have to be the whole amount. It can be two hundred. It can be five hundred. A thousand. However much it is. Um, some some corporates have um, adopted more than one um, a child. Uh, but mostly individuals will choose one child. Now and you, that's, that's how it goes. Do you have an SMS subscription line to, uh, linked to this Adopt an Angel initiative? Yes. Um, the, the SMS subscription line is also um, a monthly contribution. So um, basically what you do, you, you, you SMS the, the word EDEN, E-D-E-N, to the number 31239, and um, a 10 rand will go out of your um, uh, airtime every month. So it's a contribution of 10 rand per month. Oh, okay. Yes. So that's actually quite simple because, you know, we're always looking for the simple way of doing these things. So we just have to SMS the word Eden to 31239 and every month 10 rand will come off our airtime. Yes, that's correct. Oh, that makes everybody's life so much easier and you're doing some good while you're doing it easily as well. What other initiatives have you got coming up? I know you've got a big Christmas concert coming up. Yes, uh, that's the basically our highlight of the year. Um we have um, the concerts coming up in November. Um, we the purpose of the, the the Christmas concerts is to basically for the residents to show off what they've learned throughout the year. So it's, it it is literally performed by the residents with the help of the staff members, of course. So it, it's for them to to show off. For um, for example, if a child has learned to hold a spoon or to to make a certain sound. Or, um, or to even move in a certain way. It doesn't have to be um, literally walking. So um, they, they, they form um, a various ways to show off these. I know uh, this year they've chosen the theme Rainbow um, as, as a theme for, for the concert, so it should be quite colorful and, and interesting. So there are lots of ways that people can get involved. I know that also you, you, can people donate other things to you as well if they, if they have anything to, to help you out with? Yes, um, uh, definitely monetary donations are always welcome, but also we do accept any form of, 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 of donations. Um, we also have a second-hand shop that um, also is part of, of us raising funds. 
Um, so whatever it is that we receive um, from donations, if we cannot use inside the home, um, we can sell at our second-hand shop. So we take from clothing, books, um, toys, uh, toiletries, um, anything, um, even furniture, um, we Welcome. Whereabout are you, Nicolette? If people want to know, whereabout in Gauteng are you? Okay, um, like I mentioned earlier, um, we have the main, um, the, the head office in Edenville. Uh, also, that's where we have uh, the Domitil and Denny Himes home with 180 residents, and there's another one in in Babsfontein with um, 120 residents. Okay, so if people are wanting to find out, can they give you a call? Do you have a number at the office there? Yes, we do. Um, our number is 011-609-7246. Um, they're also welcome to get hold of me at marketing at littleeden.org.za. Um, also, they're welcome to visit our, our, our website at www.littleeden.org.za. We also have a Facebook um, page. And just as Little Eden? Yes, Little Eden Society. Little Eden Society. Right, well, there's plenty of ways people can find you, and I will give out that SMS number again if people would like to get involved with that Adoption Angel initiative. Fantastic work that they do out at Little Eden, and it would be really, really nice if you're looking for something to support. Here's something really, really worthwhile. Nicolette, thank you so much for your time. I'm most grateful to you, and good luck with the initiative and also with your Christmas concert. Thank you, Karen, and thank you for having me. Only a pleasure. Good night to you. All right. Bye-bye. Nicolette Matiga is the Marketing Communication Officer at Little Eden. And if you'd like to support their Adopt an Angel initiative, you can take a look at the website. It's www.littleeden.org.za. You can also SMS the word Eden to 31239. And every month then an amount of 10 Rand will come off your airtime. And it's a very simple way of helping them out. They also have a Facebook page, Little Eden Society. Or you can call them on 011-609-7200. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, November is just around the corner, so it's time once again to focus on the men in our lives with the Movember campaign. And joining me on the line now is Dr. Darren Green, and he's a medical practitioner practicing here in Cape Town, and he's one of the Movember ambassadors. And Movember is a global men's health movement committed to changing the face of men's health. Dr. Green, good evening. Welcome to the show. Yes, thanks, Corin. Great to be with you again. Thank well, you. I love this time of the year because all, <laughs> all the year I'm sort of going on and on about the men who don't take responsibility and they need to start looking after their own health. Yes. And this is right in their face now for an entire month. Literally, indeed, on their face, face on their face and in their face. Yeah. So tell those who don't, and I'm sure there aren't many, who don't know what Movember is all about. Yeah, sure. Well, it's a global awareness initiative that actually was started in uh, 2003 down in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, the, the whole goal was simply to create a campaign or an awareness around men's topical health issues. That, uh, that they don't often disclose or want to start conversations about things like uh, testes cancer and prostate cancer, as well as mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And men tend to hold back a lot of those detailed conversations due to the override of ego, you know. And uh, what the campaign has, has come about is a visual sign or a symptom, you know, a, a, a symptom that we can identify 
identify. Like we do for breast cancer, and everyone wears a pink ribbon, the, uh, the mo or the moustache actually acts as a ribbon that can be seen on the outside, a physical sign, a demonstration, you know, of the support of, uh, of awareness around men's health issues. I mean, people who think, gosh, this is all just a gimmick and everything else, let me just tell you <laughs> that in last year, an amount, listen to this, an amount of 7,180,382 rand, I mean, that's a lot of money, was yeah. raised for local prostate and t- testicular survivorship and research programs developed and managed in conjunction with the Cancer Association. That's an awful lot of money from one campaign. No, it is indeed. And, uh, you know, there were over 30,000 participants from South Africa alone involved with that project, as, uh, as, as you've, you've rightfully said. And, you know, 7 million is, there aren't many projects out there that no, can do that. In but one there's a month, reason yeah. for that. I mean, people are drawn, obviously, to the, to the competitive nature of the, of the competition. <laughs> it's a man thing, you know. Aren't they testosterone driven? Competition always brings out the best in the caveman, I must say. So men have to grow their moustache, have to be clean-shaven on the 1st of November, and they've got a month, basically, to grow the f- most fabulous moustache ever. That's it. And, and you know, there, there's some really creative ideas with regards to different shapes, sizes, and, uh, you know, the designs that one can come up with. If you, if you log on to uh, www.november.com, you'll be quite blown away by the creative from the Mexican and Spanish through to, to really, really thick soup strainers. There are quite a few that you can go through. But, uh, you know, guys get really creative. And so do the ladies, by the way. And uh, I know that lots of ladies don't really grow lip hair unless they're on some antihypertensive drugs that cause the side effects of hirsutism or, uh, you know, increased virility. But uh, the ladies are quite good sports, and a lot of them are actually parading uh, fake moustaches or even growing them, not growing them, but drawing them in, rather, at, at work in the corporate uh, marketplace so that's that's hats off to that spirit and but there are some rules there are some rules that you can't join them for example you can't join your mustache to your sideburns that's considered a beard yes that's correct and a mustache has to be se- separated uh, and uh, you know obviously there, there are variations on the theme where you can take it from the mouth corners down to the traditional bulky shape for example but uh, as you rightfully said it's a period of four weeks there's no cheating you have to be clean shaven on the first of november so all the people that thought they could get a head start in the <laughs> slow growers they can't use fertilizer they can't use anything that promotes that growth you've got to do it naturally you know and uh, you know along with that comes so much topical conversation and that's what this is all about and it's a lot of fun too it is. Uh, and I mean, uh, I know so many people in relationships that get so uh, irked with the irritation of, of lip hair on someone mm. that was usually <laughs> clean shaven. But what, uh, what are four weeks in the face of a massive global crisis that we're actually trying to eradicate, expose and actually do something about? I think the, the guys that kicked off the campaign deserve a medal. Well, that's the fun part. Now, let's get down to the reason why we do this every year. Yes, Prostate indeed. and testicular cancer and also male mental health. Three very important issues, Indeed. which, as you rightfully said in the beginning, men are a little bit shy about talking about these sort of things. Women will go about talking about anything, but men don't <laughs> like to talk about these very personal issues. What is the situation? You said it's a global crisis. How bad yeah. is it? No, well, it, it certainly is. In South Africa, uh, men have a 1 in 23 lifetime risk for prostate cancer. Oh, that's high. And 1 in 7 men are possibly diagnosed with prostate cancer by the age of 75. And uh, 25% will be diagnosed with prostate here by 85. 
So that's unbelievably high, uh, you know, in terms of the incidence. And uh, five men die from prostate cancer each day in South Africa. Each day? Yeah, and that's yearly. 2,000 are dying yearly. So that's how we arrive at that figure. And it's incredible. And, you know, only, only a quarter of, the, of, of men have a positive uh, uh, what we call the prostate-specific antigen. You know the blood test we do yes. to, to test the prostate-specific hormone That's level. the PSA as, as test, yes. Um, and only one in four, basically, um, have a positive PSA test that turns out to have prostate cancer because people don't know what the forerunner signs are. You know, your prostate can become enlarged beforehand for quite a while, for years before developing cancer, but you don't know the warning symptoms or signs, and that, that's why you don't actually get it investigated. So could we tell them what they are? Yes, sure. You know, the, the main ones for the prostate specifically are you have a decreased uh, uh, strength to your stream, so the urine flow becomes a little bit more, uh, you know, less voluminous and, and slow. You have dripping after, after you've emptied your bladder. You could have urgency, so that's the feeling where you feel like you have a huge wee, and when you go to the loo, it's just a few drops, basically. Uh, and then obviously with that, you could have incontinence as well at times. And as far as testicular cancer is concerned, what should men be looking out for there? Young, young men uh, present with testicular cancer. So I'm speaking about guys under the age of 35. And what makes that so difficult is it's normally actually pointed out by their partners or their sexual partners because men don't routinely go and examine their testes to look for any additional masses or abnormal shape or form like women are educated to do with breast examinations, for example. So often, the first presenting sign is a painless mass. So that could be discovered by you or your partner where there's a, a, an additional swelling. So you first need to know normal. I mean, if you don't know what the normal testy size looks like or, you know, or feels like, you, you, you could be in, in deep water. Ask your doctor, ask your dad if you're a young man. You know, talk about it. Get it out there. Start the conversation. Talk to your partner as well. And a painless mass normally, a bloody discharge, uh, you know, from the, from the private parts is something also that can, can pop up. Very much like breast cancer, early detection is vital. It is, uh, you know, and, you know, we, we hear all the success stories of, of people that have had cancer just localized to one tube, for example, uh, with regards to breast cancer. And in prostate cancer, certainly, if it's detected early, there's just so much more we can do. You know, the, the good news about both prostate and testicular cancers is that there's, there are still lots of technological breakthroughs and interventions that can be done depending on the staging. And the staging uh, involves whether it's local, whether it's inf infiltrated the surrounding tissue or the, the organs or the lymph nodes to which that area drains. And based on that staging, we then plan treatment. You know, is it chemo? Is it radiotherapy? Is it surgery where they trim the outer shell of the prostate, for example? And in testes, do they, do they remove the testes completely? Yes, they often do. But fortunately, the other one can carry on producing healthy sperm cells. Now, not seeing any sign, obvious sign of there being something wrong, how often should men be going to have this checked out by a professional? 
Yes, so uh, with prostate examinations, definitely by the age of 45, we advocate now from the age of 40 already, you should be having uh, your prostate checked. Everyone fears, because of ignorance, the digital prostate Mm -hmm. examination or the rectal examination uh, to examine the prostate. Uh, If you are prepared and you understand what's happening, it's really not that uh, that bad. A lot of people make jokes about it to lighten it, to bring some humor into it, um, you know. But uh, the bottom line is the alternatives. There are, for example sonars that can be done to look at the prostate. There are blood tests that can be done as well. What people don't realize is the blood test measuring that prostate-specific antigen, which I mentioned earlier, that blood test specifically can even go up with infection of the prostate, with examining the prostate before drawing the blood to test it, uh, and trauma, for example, from cycling long distances. So everyone gets alarmed that their risk of of having prostate cancer is obviously higher with a blood test that that shows abnormal but don't be alarmed because there are other things that cause that that hormone level to go up so be well informed about how it's diagnosed uh, both the digital examination both the blood test and the sonars that can be done nowadays are you recommending annually from the age of 40 yes well i would recommend that if you've got a family history of prostate cancer certainly i'd say certainly annually from the age of 45. From the age of 40, I think your first examination should certainly be looked at from the age of 40, unless you have, of course, symptomatology suggestive of of obstruction earlier, then you'd get it checked out. And obviously, if your father or your grandfather or a close family relative, a brother or an uncle or somebody like that, had a problem with the prostate, you need to be more vigilant. You certainly do. There are definitely uh, types of prostate cancer that are more genetically linked than others. There's no, there's no. I'm not saying that they will definitely get it. So don't start listening out there and panicking. No, not at all. It's, it's like just that you cancer. just, you just need to be aware. Yes. And testicular cancer is that something that needs to be also checked out by a professional, or should the men be able to do it themselves? Yes, I think just regular examination, and that obviously from a young age you should know. Know, you know, as I say, what the structure should look like. Know where they should be. Note, note, for example, if the testes are pulled up into the inguinal ligament towards the groin, higher up, and not sitting in the sac like they should, uh, the scrotal sac, that is. So you need to know a little bit more about your anatomy and, you know, and ask a bit about it. Uh, and then, of course, please remember that it's a painless mass. So often... You know, you don't, you're not aware of a symptom as that burning or pain or, or uh, obstruction. You just basically notice that there's an additional lump. Well, something that the men especially, well, I shouldn't just say now in November, they should be checking themselves all year. It's in, but November, we try and explain to them why they should be doing it more frequently. Now, as a Movember ambassador, what are you going to be doing in November? Well, I think I need to lead by example. <laughs> Last year, I was ambassadoring basically from the sidelines uh, and using my, my u- usable excuses for TV and video shoots that, oh, I really? <laughs> that I'd agreed on before I was asked to be an ambassador. This year, I have no excuse, I'm afraid. So even although I'm on doctor's orders on, on, on SABC and, uh, on Fridays, I, I, have to, I have to do this. <laughs> and I want to do it. I really do. So uh, from the 1st of November, I'll uh, be cultivating some of this... Uh, this lovely black hair on my face and hopefully trimming it to quite a slick design. I'm hoping to to get something more in the line of the old English gentleman from the 17th century. Well, that's one of the one of the rules. It says that each mobro, which is what they call people like yourself who are going to be taking part, yes. must conduct himself like a true gentleman. 
Most definitely. And, you know, I think it's, it's quite charming as well for, uh, for, for men to have a, an outward display of a greater cause. And I think they deserve the respect and admiration of the communities they serve, both corporate communities, schooling communities, and also, uh, obviously, in their families, being a, a, an example to your kids. And hopefully this year we'll beat the seven million that was raised last year. Let's hope so. It goes into very worthwhile research and survivorship programs. Yes, it does. In South Africa, the, uh, the, the currently the men's health partners in South Africa are the Cancer Association, which many people are familiar with, and uh, they've contributed in, in, in different areas from patient navigation, metropolitan care centers, etc. So, you know, they are incredible and they're doing amazing work. Well, I wish you much success with your moustache next month, Dr. Green. Yes, and you too, Corinne. Thank well, you for I'll, your time. I'll, I'll, draw, I'll draw one on. I'm, I don't think I'll be able to grow one, unfortunately, but I'll certainly draw one on. Yes, an underarm hair doesn't count. Oh, not. Oh, dear. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the tip. Oh, God bless. Thank <laughs> thanks you. so much for joining us. Good Dr. night to you. Bye-bye. Dr. Darren Green is a medical practitioner practicing in Cape Town and one of the Movember ambassadors. For more information, take a look at www.movember.com. You'll also find them on Twitter. Twitter at Movember RSA and on Facebook as Movember South Africa. Health Matters with Karen Key. Dr. Ray Rethman's on the line now, and he's a chiropractor practicing in Durban, and we're going to be talking about something rather exciting. It's called the Bioflex Laser. Ray, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen, and uh, evening to your listeners as well. So the Bioflex laser, this is a relatively new thing here in South Africa, but you discovered it overseas. That's correct. I was overseas a few years ago when I was introduced to this system of healing, and I was completely fascinated by it, of course. So I decided that I'd find out more about it, and I went over to Canada to the Meditech clinic where I underwent the training and worked with the clinical staff there for a few days and then went on to work in a clinic in, in Nova Scotia. When I came back to South Africa, I, I bought a machine back, and I thought, well, I, I'd like to find out and, uh, with, the, with the other users of machines like this to discover that there was no one with a Bioflex machine in this country. But the thing, though, Ray, is that you actually had personal experience. I mean, your first treatment, you actually had a torn knee cartilage and thought, yeah. well, let me give it a shot. And I think that convinced you, that, as, as you say, that there's nothing like personal experience. Well, personal experience was that I arrived in Canada with a torn cartilage in my knee after an accident I had on the plane going overseas, can you believe it? Oh, my goodness. But in any case, um, they immediately strapped the, uh, the pads from the, uh, of the laser onto my knee and, uh, and gave me a pair of crutches to walk around with. It was really embarrassing, actually. But four days later, I could get rid of the crutches. I was, uh, the healing was taking place at such a fast rate. And uh, today, this is three, four years later, my knee is absolutely perfect. Now, this was actually originally discovered or developed, if you like, by Dr. Fred Kahn, and he's a vascular surgeon, so it comes very much from a medical background. He is a, he is a vascular surgeon, and through personal experience with a, with a skiing accident, he, he went to a colleague who was using very primitive, um, low-level laser therapy equipment at that time, and was impressed with what happened, and then decided on his own that he would develop and produce an up-to-date and more relevant technology. But the history of laser therapy goes back to uh, the early 20s, uh, mostly in Eastern Europe, where a lot of uh, initial uh, experimentation work was done using laboratory animals and things, and they discovered that 
contrary to the, I remember as a child, and I think a lot of your listeners will remember, having the, the infrared lamp put on them when, when there was injury. Yes, I do remember that. Now, through pure mistake, they discovered in the laboratory that if you turned the power down on the infrared lamp and applied the application of the infrared directly onto the skin, the penetration of that energy into the body was so much better. So Dr. Khan uses arrays uh, in his design of the Bioflex uh, technology that wrap around the injured area and directly inject the energy from the light into the body tissue. I think when you mentioned laser, people start thinking, oh gosh, no, this sounds a bit dangerous. It's obviously mm. perfectly safe. Uh, I just want to make it clear, Karen, that this is not the laser that people go to for cosmetic mm. purposes. It is what they call a low-level laser therapy or a cold laser. It is using current that is not destructible. It doesn't destroy. It doesn't heat. It's not a heat treatment at all. It's almost like a battery charger where it stimulates the cells to function normally. It's perfectly safe. And over the 20 years that Dr. Khan and Meditech have been going, there hasn't been one negative result from injury. So how does it actually work, Ray? The energy that's produced by ordinary light waves, and in this technology they use the red light and the infrared light wave, which is measured in nanometers, which you don't need to get uh, too involved with, but a nanometer is a billionth of a meter, and they work in a nanometer range of 600 nanometers to 900. Now, in that wavelength area, the penetrating rays are absorbed by cells of the body and it stimulates their repair and return to normal function. Now, when you get a normally functioning cell, you get a normally function, functioning body in that even after trauma, the inflammation process is stimulated and cut down in time. The accelerated processes of healing are initiated, and uh, you get tissue repair happening quicker than you would normally. And uh, this is particularly good for things like uh, sports injuries, tendonitis, torn muscles and things like that, where the downtime for an athlete is cut down possibly by uh, 50 or 60 percent. I was actually going to ask you the kinds of conditions that could be treated with something like this, and you've said mostly sports injuries, things like tendonitis, those kinds of things. What oh, else? yes. I mean, obviously, the regular man in the street possibly wouldn't have had a sports injury. No. So what would it help with somebody like me, for example, just a regular person? Well, definitely, you know, 85% of any population of any part of the world, they say, has arthritis in some joint or another in their body. And this... Application of energy to arthritis stimulates the production of a whole lot of biochemical reactions, which eliminates, firstly, the pain of arthritis. I must say, with all the modern pharmaceutical things at our disposal, a large proportion of, of the population are still living in pain. And you cannot just keep on consuming anti-inflammatories and antibiotics forever and ever and piling on to this uh, injured tissue. You've got to start healing the tissue. And I think in those sort of cases, a lot of people take things like cortisone, which in itself works very well, but the side effects and the after effects of taking cortisone, especially for a prolonged period of time, can be quite damaging. Absolutely. I mean, I see patients with injuries or, or sore wounds on their leg, let's say from diabetes, where they, the ulcer won't heal, 
and they've been given the same treatment for 20 years, and nothing, and the condition doesn't change, but they keep continuing with the same treatment. So there is time to look around for these alternative therapies, which uh, are aimed at accelerating body processes and healing body tissue. Nobody can heal the body except the body itself. When you stimulate the healing process, the body starts to heal. Now, you're a chiropractor, so obviously you're using this Bioflex laser in far more applications than one would consider a chiropractor really to be involved with, because you can use it for so many other things as well. Well, low back pain is my major concern, because most people with back pain, firstly, of course, they go to the doctor for the cortisone and stuff, and eventually when that wears off, they they look around and they see chiropractors, they see uh, biokinetists, and they see other people. So... To enhance the back pain people, this laser has been working absolutely brilliantly. It just cuts down the time that people have to put up with pain. It's quite quite revolutionary when it comes to treating conditions that you've been mentioning here. How have you seen it being accepted here in South Africa now that you've arrived with one of these machines? Well, you know, it's it's always in in the medical and healing fields. It's always difficult to accept new ideas because uh, people are trained in certain disciplines and to look outside that discipline takes, uh, you know, a special kind of consciousness. And when people look at the picture of what is going on, you can take this country, for example, because it's the same all over the world, there are people who have been living on medication and and, um, pharmaceutical stuff for years and years and years, and they still live in pain. So obviously, we must look in other directions. I mean, if the pharmaceutical people could control pain, we probably wouldn't exist. Nobody would be looking outside the pharmaceutical world for anything if they could live without pain. And the thing with something like this is that you don't have long-term side effects, obviously, from something like this. There are no side effects from, from this low-level laser therapy. They have, it's perfectly safe for anyone, particularly older people who can't benefit from, let's say, a manipulative therapy anymore because it's too dangerous on, the, on their, their joints and bones. They might have osteoporosis. So this is the ideal therapy for treating pain and chronic conditions like arthritis perfectly safely. Is there anybody that shouldn't be looking at this as a possible alternative? There are only one or two things that we shouldn't do, and that is um, we we don't radiate any uh, cancerous uh, areas or anyone with cancer over that particular area anyway, or in the first few weeks of pregnancy, we wouldn't go near the, the uteral area. And children? Children are 100%. The younger the person, the quicker they heal. How many treatments would somebody need to get to a point where they were feeling a whole lot better? For example, to take lower back pain, for example. Lower back pain, it depends, of course, on the condition and on the age of the patient and how long they've been suffering with. But you could say anything from 10 to maybe 30 treatments. The more chronic the condition, the more treatments they may need. It's on an average about 10 to 15, maybe more, it may be less. And are you the only practitioner in South Africa doing this at the moment, Ray? No, there are one or two other practitioners um, who use this machine. There, I know there is a fellow chiropractor in Cape Town. He has a machine. There are two other machines in Durban where I work here. And uh, there's only one in Joburg. But it's, it's my intention, of course, to educate uh, therapists 
to uh, get this technology into their clinics so uh, they can spread the use of this uh, of this new technology around South Africa. And I'm assuming this isn't something that you could just buy and, and use. You would need to be trained. I mean, so yeah. people can come to you quite safe in the knowledge that you have been trained to use this correctly. Yes, it must be a, a health professional that trains you. You can't purchase a machine without being trained to use it anyway, but you can't become a low-laser therapist without being properly trained in some basic educational institution. So you'd need to have some sort of medical background, effectively, well, to do not this? not medical so much, but, you know, biokinetists, physios, mm. chiropractors, people who have an, a knowledge of anatomy, even um, a well-trained sports therapist uh, could do it. If people are wanting to find out more, their website, bioflexlaser.com, would that be the best place for them that to go? Is, that would be the best place to, to go to, yes. So, Ray, if they're wanting to find out more, they have any questions, can they contact you directly? Yes, they can. I'd be very happy to answer any queries. They can contact me on my email. It's ray, R-A-Y, at laserhealing, L-A-S-E-R-H-E-A-L-I-N-G, one word, dot C-O dot Z-A. And you can answer any questions they might have about the treatment or if, there's, if it's a medical person that's wanting to find out possibly about getting involved in this, they can contact you. You can help them with, out with all of those questions. Absolutely, yes. Ray, this sounds like quite an exciting new addition to our treatment options here in yes, South Africa. And is, uh, yes. hopefully there'll be more of these around the country in the not-too-distant future. I'm sure there will be. And uh, I'm, I'm sure once the word gets around, the news will spread and people will demand a safe, non-toxic, non-invasive therapy for their problems and most people's problems concern pain. Well Ray, I thank you very much. You've uh, given us a whole lot to think about and some rather exciting things to go out there and looking for. Um, yes. Thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been a great pleasure talking to you Karen and thank you for the opportunity. I was speaking there with Dr. Ray Rethman. He's a chiropractor practicing in Durban, and we were talking about the Bioflex laser, which is a low-intensity light therapy. Rather exciting, that is. And if you'd like to find out more about that, there is a website. It's www.bioflexlaser.com. And if you have any questions regarding the treatment options or if you're wanting to find out about actually having one of these in your surgery or your offices if you're a medical professional, you can email Ray on ray at laserhealing.com. Well, tomorrow, to mark National Mental Health Month, which is taking place this October, a human chain will be forming in the company garden in Cape Town as part of a campaign by Cape Mental Health, its service users and affiliated organizations. Now, the people, including those with and without mental disabilities, will hold hands to show their support for imp- to improve mental health services. It's taking place tomorrow, as I said, Wednesday the 23rd of October from 12 until 2 in the company gardens in Cape Town, and that's on the corner of Adley Street next to St. George's Cathedral in the central Cape Town area. Well, you just need to arrive and take some time off during your lunch hour, perhaps, and I'm sure you'll be very warmly welcomed. So between 12 and 2 tomorrow in the Cape Town Company Gardens. Well, that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me, and I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after 9 with time to travel, so join me then. If you need any information about something you've heard this evening, you can email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM.